What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 44 of the 2QB Experience. My name is Greg Smith. I'm your host. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Greg Sauce, uh, and you can find my work at 2QBs.com. And on the line, a uh, special guest, Rich Rebar, at Lord Reeves of Roto World, master of the hashtag Konami Code. Rich, welcome, man. How you doing? Greg, man, it's going good. You know, here we are in the middle of summer right now, you know, ready to turn the turn it up full blast here in a couple of weeks once these training camps really get kicked off. So, I mean, we're ready, man. This is we're, we're at the peak of the mountain just about. Yeah, I feel like it's it's kind of the first day of the fantasy season, too, because the Scott Fishbowl kicked off. And I, and I want to jump right in into that and start talking to you about, you know, strategy and just kind of, uh, you know, what's what's been happening in your league versus my league, because there are so many different divisions, right? And there's so many different ways to win in fantasy football. It's crazy how many different lines people will take to try to attack this format. How was how's your draft been going so far? Uh so so I, I suppose we're here in the. I'm actually one of the the quicker drafts. I mean, everyone kind of is really zooming by. They want to get this thing over with. I guess not enjoy it, not savor the draft. <laughs> we're at the end of the fifth round already, um, and making the turn here. We we're at five eleven already in our draft. Yeah, and it's been a, a wide array of of strategies going on. You know, quarterbacks and tight ends seem to be consensus flying off the board early in these. You know, given the scoring changes, um, for good reason as well. But I mean, it's there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of mix and matching out there. I've seen people tweeting out there, obviously. Uh, so I mean, yeah, how, how is yours going? It's all right. We're a little slower. Uh, we're in round three right now. I've got my first two picks in the book. I went running back, running back. I had uh, Devonta Freeman in the first, DeMarco Murray in the second, trying to hammer that position early. But, mm-hmm. you know, sooner or later, you're going to have to dive in on the other positions, maybe this round, maybe not. Um, I was looking at your draft versus mine, and I've noticed that there are definitely a lot more wide receivers going in my draft. So I, I don't know if that necessarily makes one league, quote unquote, sharper than the other. It's just, like I said, different strategies, and we'll, right. we'll see how it all plays out. Yeah, we only have 10 wide receivers taken. We're on pick 5'11". There's only been 10 wide receivers total selected. Yeah, I was debating whether or not to jump in on one of like the Mike Evans or A.J. Greens in round two, and then I'm glad I didn't see kind of what's going on in the other leagues. But let's talk a little bit about the positions in general. Let's talk about quarterbacks first because they do outscore all, their, all other positions in this format. And this is kind of the age-old question in, in 2QB and Superflex leagues is, do we load up at the quarterback position because of that or not? What, what do you think? I think not, given a format like this. I mean, if maybe the lineups were a little bit different, but here you've got you have to start two running backs, you have to start three wide receivers, and then you have you have uh, three non-quarterback flexes because we're basically saying if we're using a super flex, we're almost calling it two QBs. You want to have a QB in that super flex spot, but there's three other non-QB flexes. So I mean, you can theoretically start five running backs in a format that's very driven to 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 drive off running back scoring and when you take in the volatility of the position injury wise you need more than five running backs in your roster so you need to hammer running backs i think uh early and often in these and try to maximize your, your points out that way uh you can also you know float tight ends in the flex they kind of score on par with receivers especially when you get into like those possession types receivers uh you know guys like jason Witten are equal to golden tate in this like scoring format they're very equal so i mean you can even float like a tight end in the flex if you have to um i, I prefer like I said, I'm trying to get run, as many running backs as I can as possible. And then when I think when you look at the the quarterback scoring in this, it's it's still very linear, just like every other league. I mean, the, the QB 20 
um, is only three points away from the QB7. But, you know, in, in terms of ADP, they're really far apart. You know, the QB7s are going in, like, round two of these, um, you know, whereas the QB20s are going off, you know, three rounds later. But that's only a three-point difference, you know, in, in the between those guys in scoring per game last year. So, I mean, I think you can still wait and get, like, two mid-QB2s. I was the last one to take quarterback in mind. I just took... Tyrod Taylor at QB 18. The GOAT. Uh, yeah, yeah, I took Ty, Ty GOAT there at QB 18 in the fifth round. You know, it was finally, I was flying close to the sun as, as long as I could. I still wanted to take more running backs because I, like I said, I, I want more running backs because I was one of those people that actually got lured into where the running back kind of top tier fell off and I'd end up taking Julio Jones in the second round because he was just there. I mean, Maybe just the the stigma of oh it's two hundred five and Julio Jones is on the board you know what I mean it's just like <laughs> I kind of just like you know what I mean it's just like oh yeah Julio Jones or do I you know take uh, Leonard Fournette or Lamar Miller it's like well yeah of course we take Julio Jones regardless of scoring and, and kind of go from there but yeah so I mean I think that you can still wait on quarterback and get two QB two types because I think like I said the position drop off is very linear uh, not as sharp as drastic as the other positions and you you can wait still and, and come away with some serviceable guys. Yeah, and that's the case in all fantasy, right? Quarterbacks are just more consistent, more predictable week to week, and mm-hmm. you can exploit that in these drafts because people want the guys who have big names. They want Cam Newton. They want Marcus Mariota. They want Matt Ryan, these guys who put up big stats, you know, the year before, and, you know, we can leverage that to some extent. I'm, I'm glad you brought up Lamar Miller because these heavy-use running backs have a lot of extra appeal thanks to the point for first down scoring. But I, Miller's just one of those guys who I, I can't get a good handle on. I, I feel like... Dante Foreman could help make Miller more efficient, but then I worry that Miller's going to lose carries and especially lose goal line work potentially to the rookie. And then there's the question of quarterback play too, right? It's like, will Deshaun Watson mm-hmm. also steal that goal line work? And how good are those quarterbacks going to be in the first place? Like, are, are Deshaun Watson and Tom Savage going to be good enough players to make that, uh, you know, an offense that does work? Um, what, what do you think about Miller this season? Like, in, in, in this SFB format specifically where, you know, in theory, he should be a, a relatively high draft pick just because of the type of player he is. What, what's your read on Miller? Yeah, I'm kind of in, in, in with you here, just kind of a gray area. I'm not really running hot or cold on him. You know, I did, I wrote a post to, to start the summer about rookie quarterback play and how it impacts fantasy. And it, it really is, it puts a real negative effect on, you know, fantasy scoring. I know everyone is going to say, well, how could it be worse than last year? I mean, you know, but <laughs> you, you, it's hard to predict those situations and, and say for sure what it is. I mean, listen, the Denver QBs were worse than the Peyton Manning, Brock Osweiler were the year before. I mean, it happens. Um, and, and it is, when the QB play is bad, it, it, it torpedoes everyone in fantasy but I mean Miller is still I mean he's got got some pros in his corner still he's just 26 years old coming this year still right in that running back apex he's also had three straight years of 1200 yards from scrimmage you know he still got that last year I mean I know it was given his ADP and expectations it was a disappointing season for a lot of people that drafted him I mean because he had a career high 299 touches he had a career low 4.2 yards per touch uh, he scored just six times after scoring, you know, 10 and nine touchdowns the two years prior. And then his, he just had 2.2, uh, receptions per game, his lowest total since 2013. So, I mean, I think that maybe the Texans, you know, get another body there. Cause, you know, when Miller got banged up in season from that workload he's never had, they had to kind of turn to Alfred Blue and some other guys in season. And those guys just weren't effective as well. So, I mean, getting, getting down to Foreman, you know, in the mix, they might have to, they might be looking at it like a, a hedge on like the Miami situation where Lamar Miller was in. Maybe a little less of Miller is getting a little more of Miller, you know, in terms of production. And maybe that's the case. Um, but I think it's, he's a guy that probably someone's going to always like more than me in drafts just because I'm not, like I said, I'm not really running, you know, in, in, in one direction on him. 
So another few running backs that are in that same kind of gray area of usage that I've been fascinated by recently, kind of leading up to, you know, draft season are CJ Anderson, Mark Ingram, and Spencer Ware. All of their outlooks are kind of obscured by these perceived backfield committees. You know, you're looking at uh, Kareem Hunt in the case of Ware, Adrian Peterson, and Alvin Kamara for Mark Ingram. And then C.J. Anderson's going up against Devontae Booker again, and now Jamal Charles. Which of the three, if any, are you drafting of of the more established, I guess, veteran guys, uh, Anderson, Ingram, and Ware? Yeah, you pick these guys out of a good bucket. I actually did the tiers for the Roto World Draft Guide, which, uh, you know, free plug is going to be, you know, it's, it drops tomorrow, the online version. And, and these three guys are all in a row, uh, in my tiers. So it's, it's fun that you pick these guys out. I mean, if I'm going to draft one, it's going to be default, uh, Mark Ingram. Yes. Uh, you know, Ingram's touches have kind of dropped in each of the past two seasons lower than the season prior. You know, the Saints kind of still have yet to show faith in as their like lone workhorse. Uh, we got Adrian Peterson kind of threatens Ingram's short yardage and goal line work while Alvin Kamara, the rookie, kind of impacts his, his ceiling, uh, you know, receiving, you know, kind of potentially leaving Ingram in kind of like this purgatory-like space. But, I mean, the positive news with Mark Ingram compared to the other two guys, he's been effective the past three years while sharing opportunities already mm-hmm. in the Saints offense. And this, because the Saints offense is a large enough pie to cut a slice from still when you're doing it. I mean, like I said, he does carry a little risk ceiling-wise losing the touchdowns and the receptions, you know, kind of because both those are high where we generate a lot of points for from fantasy. But, I mean, he's so from sense of major value where he's dropped from ADP-wise given, you know, his recent effectiveness in a similar role already uh, and his offensive attachment. You know, so, I mean, if I'm going to take one of these guys, it's going to be Ingram. I do find myself kind of looking at Mark Ingram where he falls, especially when he gets like that fifth, sixth round area. Uh, the other two guys are a little interesting as well. We can touch on them, you know, kind of real quick. You know, C.J. Anderson, I mean, he scored 10 times, uh, you know, the final eight games of 2014, you know, kind of won everyone those fantasy titles. We've kind of got that big allure of C.J. Anderson. He helped us win money. He, You know, we, we always like those guys. They hold the place in their hearts. But he scored just 10 times in 22 games since. Uh, you know, he kind of started on fire last year, those first two weeks, uh, and then began slowly losing his effectiveness because we talked about the, the QB play. I mean, it was, wasn't a good offense. Uh, then he tore his meniscus. Uh, Devontae Booker really didn't do much. They bring in Jamal Charles. We don't know which Jamal Charles we're going to get. I mean, Jamal Charles essentially, um, we, we have no idea what, what, what kind of shape his career is, is headed into right now. And he signed for the league minimum, basically. So, I mean, it, it's kind of a, a crowded backfield. This potential to be very crowded and messy and not be that good of an offense in a division that is probably not that that good enough to attack anyways, you know, uh, in terms of just cherry picking, you know, production from. And then the last guy there, Spencer Ware, kind of falls in a similar boat we talked about with Lamar Miller. I think the Chiefs are looking at Spencer Ware and saying that, hey, we can use Ware in the same role we had him in in 2015. You know, Andy Reid kind of commented uh, at the end of last year that Ware really wasn't in the kind of shape to, to take on the workload that he had. You know, he kind of made the comment. So they might be looking at it, like I said, by a guy like Lamar Miller we talked about. You know, we get him back in the same role he was in when he was really effective in 2015. You know, it's going to make us, you know, even better. And where was a guy that got nicked up and they had to turn to Sarkandrick West, who was completely ineffective. So they bring in a rookie, a guy they traded up for, too, in Kareem Hunt. So, I mean, I think when it lays down to all three guys in a similar scenario here that we kind of ran through, um, I'm just going to go for the guy in the best offense, you know, because that's going to lead to the most fantasy upside. Yeah, I'm with you. I've bounced around between all three in my drafts, you know, best balls, MFL tennis, sure. things like that. I, I think that Ingram's offensive situation is the best, you know, duh, he plays for the Saints with Drew Brees. Um, but AP's presence really does worry me a little bit. Although in the back of my head, I just, I don't know, sometimes these guys or like, um, 
Oh, who's the other guy who's coming back? Marshawn Lynch. Like, Marshawn Lynch, Adrian Peterson, Jamal Charles. Like, I just I don't trust those guys to stick around and play a full season. Mm-hmm. And with that in mind, I think that you can kind of target some of these gray area running backs and, and try to get a discount based upon that perceived slight that the, the competition is bringing for them. Um, let's move on to wide receivers. We, we talked a little bit about how they've already got the short end of the stick in the Scott Fishbowl. But we do need to start at least three of them every week, and we do have those three flex spots. So I have a feeling we're going to be using wide receivers a little grudgingly here and there throughout the season. <laughs> we already talked about how you kind of jumped in on Julio just because you didn't want to pass on him in, in round two. But what about that next tier of guys um, who are still pretty good? You know, the T.Y. Hilton's, the Michael Thomas, the Des Bryant tier. Are those guys that, that you're drafting, or are you kind of steering clear of them in favor of the running backs and QBs and tight ends? Yeah, well, I mean, Des is still on the board in mine, and they're in the fifth round. Wow. So, I mean, kind of, kind of the same situation. I mean, Des is tricky for me because I just look at that that opening month schedule. Man, is so brutal for him. You know, he's going to get the Giants to start the season with. He caught two passes in two games against the Giants. He's got Patrick Peterson on dial after that, and then he's got the Broncos to start the year. So, I mean, you're talking about a guy you've got to take now outside of this scenario we talked about where he's available in the fifth round, but your typical draft where you have to take him at that, that mid-second or that two-three turn if he slides. You got a guy you invested, you know, high capital in, but you really don't want to play any of those three weeks. You don't feel good about him getting that ceiling. I mean, granted, it's only three weeks, um, and you're going to get some better, you know, scheduled games along the ride there. But I mean, you want to come out the blocks with those guys, you know, carrying you. You know, you want your, you want to find the gems later. You're, you're not going to be playing your guys that you drafted in the eighth, ninth round early in the season. You're going to wait for those guys to pop before they find your lineups. So I mean, Des is a guy that kind of, he kind of makes me uneasy. I like, I've been drafting him in best ball leagues because I don't have to worry about anything. I'll take the ten touchdowns. He's probably going to run into one way or the other, <laughs> and I'll get them as they come. Uh, but yeah, in seasonal leagues, it's, I've been a little sketchy on it. But yeah, you talk about in this league. I mean. The way that the scoring is set up, I mean, Mike Evans is the highest scoring receiver, but he's the 33rd in overall scoring. You know, that's it really dampens wide receiver output. Scott tried to save it by making us start three, uh, you know, kind of kind of still, you know, making making us, you know, try to hold on some value. I think, like I said, well, the guys that really hurts, though, aren't these guys in the top, you know, the top crust of the first couple of tiers. It's the guys I kind of hit upon the, the golden tapes, the Stefan Diggs is um, these guys, those guys that the Jarvis Landry's, these guys that get hit with that, that carry a lot of volume to carry their fantasy production. Just don't score here. I mean, you think that those guys would stack a lot of first downs, but they really don't compared to the other guys. Cause obviously a longer depth of target, you're, those guys are catching first downs every time they make reception, even though they're not catching as many balls as those guys. So, I mean, those guys really end up getting hurt because they get, they're starting to get sucked up by like the second and third wave of tight ends are, you know, equal to them, which makes it really tough, you know, um, to, to buy into these guys, especially when everyone in your draft really realizes that like I'm in. So you've got to sit and wait, um, and, and pluck these guys off. I mean, you, you can sit there and wait and get guys that just touchdown upside later on because it's essentially a standard scoring league, you know. So, I mean, it's, it's really tough. You got to thumb and find your way. I think right around, the RB like 27 to 30 is where it starts to get like one off equal with like wide receivers where you can start trading, you know, wide receivers. These guys are pretty equal um, and, and equals out. But I mean, those top two tiers of running backs are just too vital. And then the t- this scoring makes the top of the tight end position, you know, too critical as well. Yeah. And even with some of those running backs that are around that, you know, that cutoff point, that drop off line, you can tell stories to yourself about some of those guys where they could kind of become those workhorse backs, you know, mm-hmm. Joe Mixon, Mike Gillisley, 
Isaiah Crowell, uh, Hyde, Ty Montgomery, like these guys are all very interesting and just the, their prospects for becoming, you know, those high volume types of players could really, really propel them above the wide receivers. And it's, it's pretty fascinating. How about tight ends? How early are you drafting them? Do you have any on your roster already? Yeah, I took uh, Tyler Eifert in the fourth. He was the tight end five. Um, That's my boy I, right I, there. I, yeah, so I got him. I mean, it was kind of as I wanted to come away with one of the top, the top, uh, you know, top half guys, kind of just in a per, points per game basis. They score like just underneath the top of the wide receiver position or, or, or on par, depending who we're talking about here. But like Eifert's a guy that basically clocks in right around like his teammate, AJ Green, on a per game basis in the scoring. They score pretty equal. So, I mean, I wanted to get one of those top guys to at least be my for sure starter. And then if I end up and get a guy down the line that gives me backup and flex options, I, I kind of want to do that too. Uh, if anyone's listening to this that's in my league, you know, whatever, <laughs> it doesn't matter. But, you know, I'd love to get a guy like, you know, like a guy like Jack Doyle will be my tight end too. Because uh, then I, I'm not forced to start him, but he can come in if, I, if Eifert's hurt, you know, or I can have flex options with him as well, you know, something like that. Um, and he's he's got touchdown upside on on his own. Uh, I mean, guys like Gronk. I, I mean, he's he's a premium guy in this league. And when you look at the five games, full games he played with Tom Brady, he would have been the the, the uh, position player number four, talking about non QBs and points per game, the fourth highest score behind the top three running backs. So I mean, I I messed around with a couple builds team builds based on just like the ADP that was collected beforehand. And I just never made a team with Gronk that like I fell in love with. So I kind of stayed away. He was there. Um, but I mean, I salute all those people that drafted him because it's a 700 man tournament. I mean, Gronk's the type of dude that you don't want that weekly upside in these and you want those hammer players. So I mean, if you can get him healthy the right weeks and at least for the home stretch, I mean, you, you've got a full on hammer in this, in this type of scoring. So, I mean, yeah, I, I'm all for the, the top tier, you know, kind of coming off the board where they are. I mean, like I said, the only thing that I think everyone's getting wrong is what we talk about is like the quarterback position. Yeah, I, I I thought really hard about Kelsey at 205, um, and Gronk had been drafted immediately before at 204. And ultimately it came down to the fact that it is still just a one of position. I'm not required to start mm-hmm. more than one. And even though they score well relative to wide receivers, uh, I just I couldn't do it, man. It's like I, I see Kelsey there, and I'm like, yes – he has the potential to not only be an elite tight end, but just the number one receiver on his team. But I don't know. I'd just rather wait until the later rounds and hope to find Eifert or Jimmy Graham or Delaney Walker, Kyle Rudolph, Martellus Bennett, just one of those guys slipping a little bit further than they need to. And that's when I'm, I'm going to try to pounce. So, uh, again, we're, we're giving away strategy for the guys against us in our leagues. But, um, right. yeah, it's, it's a big it's enough a free, tournament. It's a free roll, man. Yeah, it's, totally. it's a free roll. Yes, sir. Um, <laughs> but let, let's get off of the Scott Fishbowl. We've... Not everybody's necessarily playing in this format, so it's it's uh, we're we're kind of patting our own selves on the back, or I guess that's not the right expression, but you know what I mean. Um, I want to talk about a couple articles that you wrote recently at Roto World. The first you called "Winning, Losing, and Plays," and there's a lot of great info in these articles. I'm not going to you know touch on everything. I don't want you to spoil it necessarily for people for people who want to go read it. But um, one of the things that caught my eye was how you painted Devonte Adams as an overvalued player noting that he probably shouldn't replicate his touchdown production from 2016 again this season. Are there any other notable players, maybe not from the piece, who you believe overperformed in the touchdown department last year? And you can feel free to go into other positions, too, if you want. It doesn't have to be a wide receiver. Yeah, sure. I mean, there's there are a lot of guys. I mean, probably the poster boy for touchdown regression is Tyreek Hill. I mean, I mean Tyreek Hill scored a touchdown once every 9.4 offensive touches last year. Wow. Was the best mark for all players with 75 or more touches in the season. He had eight touchdowns of 30 yards or longer. 
um, as well. So, I mean, you're talking about distance scoring, which is hard to maintain. And then we're not, we're not even into, you know, the, the special team stuff yet. Uh, and then he also had 22% of his fantasy points in rushing, you know. And when you look at that rushing from wide receivers, it's, it's already sketchy to count on wide receiver production to kind of roll over year to year. But so if you look at his receiver product, or rushing production, he had 24 carries or 267 yards and three touchdowns last year. Uh, but four of his 24 carries went for 186 of those yards. So, I mean, there's a lot of volatility with Tyreek Hill, but I think the touchdowns for sure are something that's going to come back to earth because he just relied on distant scoring, um, given the type of archetype of receiver he is, which is something that's probably going to be hard for him to roll over, especially drawing all the defense. He's not sneaking up on anyone now this year. Um, Kenny Stills, another easy, probably easy touchdown mark. Um, he scored nine touchdowns last year, led the Dolphins. Those touchdowns were a surprise. He had just 11 touchdowns combined over his uh, previous three years. He scored once uh, every nine targets last year after scoring once every 17.8 targets his first three years of his career. Ooh. 43% of his standard scoring came from touchdowns alone. That was the second highest rate in the league. Um, we want to flip the running backs. I mean, Kevin Coleman's probably another guy that's kind of like that Tyree Kellis mold. He's kind of like an easy mark. Uh, Coleman, he finished 14th in standard points per game and 13th in PPR points per game, but he finished just 27th in yards from scrimmage per game, and he was 47th in all running backs and touches per game. Uh, he was able to hold that fantasy production because he scored 11 times. He scored on 7.4% of his touches that ranked second at the position behind Mike Gillisley. Uh, he had double-digit touches in every game except for two, but he had 15 touches in a game just twice. Uh, the second article I wrote that you'll probably bring up here is scoring and drives efficiency, and, we, and it kind of touched on like, what we can expect the Atlanta offense to kind of recoil and come back to earth, given the kind of elite efficiency they had, unless they become like the next, you know, like Patriots or like 2000 St. Louis Rams, you know, it, that that might be in the cards for Atlanta, but they're like this year's Carolina Panthers and year before. I mean, we're, there's obvious regression coming, scoring regression coming for them. And the last guy is a guy I took with my first pick in the Scott Fishbowl, uh, LaShawn McCoy, man. Uh, he scored on 4.9% of his touches last year after scoring on just 2.9% for his career. You look at the Bills, they scored 29 rushing touchdowns last year. That's something that, that's not going to happen, uh, again, you know. <laughs> um, so I mean, they're kind of, their production's going to fall off here. Um, we know that they can run the football well, but I mean, in the, that article I wrote about the Falcons as well, I had some notes in there about the Bills and their rushing recoil. There have been 39 teams that have rushed for 25 or more touchdowns in, since 1970, just 36 uh, of those teams scoring fewer t- fewer times on the ground the following season. So 36 of 39 scored fewer times. Average team lost 9.2 rushing touchdowns. If we want to shave it down to just teams that scored 20 rushing touchdowns uh, in an NFL season, it, we have 144 teams. 124 of those scored fewer touchdowns the last year. So, I mean, the Bills are a team that we, I think we expect their, them to kind of be the worst team, even as bad as they were last year. But they just It's not a team that's – highly aesthetic that we think is probably going to score a lot of points. So, I mean, I would expect LaShawn McCoy to come down from like those 13 touchdowns, probably into single digits. And he's done this before. He had a year with 17 touchdowns and kind of bounced back to like his, his career mean like right away. So, I mean, I think we'll see him in single digit touchdowns this year. But it's okay. Cause you stacked him with Tyrod right. Taylor. You're just going to bounce it out with all the <laughs> passing volume they'll have. Right. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and when I say that, uh, I don't mean that as an extreme negative to LeSean McCoy either. You know, I kind of, it's Doug Baldwin Corley. Like, uh, not all regression is, is, is you know, detriment. It, we can talk about Matt Ryan, too. Uh, we're talking about, like, career mean here. Like, LeSean McCoy has a career body of work where he's a complete, like, you know, 
complete stable RB1. Mm-hmm. If he falls into single-digit touchdowns, that still is holding water here. I just think we can easily say that he's probably not going to score double-digit touchdowns. You know, Matt Ryan's not going to win MVP and throw 40 touchdowns, but his career mean has basically been like the QB8, so like we don't need to just run and hide from him either. You know, not all regression is the depth of the player. Yeah, I had a similar kind of thought when I took DeMarco Murray in the second round of the fishbowl. was just one of those things where I don't think he's necessarily going to be as good or as productive as he was last year, but he's still just a good running back, and, and those are the types of players I want on my team. Um, let's move over to the Jaguars, and you touch on them in the piece as well. And you note how they may not be able to run as much as they'd like to um, this year. What does that mean for Blake Bortles? He's a guy who, you know, despite being hated by you know most fantasy players, just based upon how bad of a quarterback he is in real life, has still put up pretty good fantasy numbers over the past two seasons. And that's, you know, in spite of playing poorly. Um, what do you see for him in 2017? Is he a guy who you're willing to take a chance on, especially as like a late round quarterback option? Yeah, it depends. I mean, especially in like the league we're talking about, we're in. I mean, Blake Bortles in this in the SFB scoring was only three points point per game under Tom Brady, who's going in like the top ten picks. So I mean, you can get Bortles in like the sixth round and have a three point per game difference. I mean, you're you're definitely making making that up. I mean, it just depends on what we see. Uh, how are the how much are the Jaguars actually going to be able to accomplish what they want to accomplish? Because they tried to do this last year and they made no secret about it. You know, they kind of want to try to take the ball to Blake Bortles' hands, kind of relying on their running game and their defense. It might not be as easy to suggest though, because you've got to have game script on your side. I mean, they still have an over under win total of just six games. I mean, that's still kind of problematic. They're not going to be winning a lot of games. You can't run the football if you're trailing late in the scoreboard and you can keep when game script kind of remains neutral in the first half, nothing changes. Even if you're trailing, teams kind of still, they really don't alter their game, game, uh, calling approach. But when we get into that second half and that fourth quarter, that's when you start to see teams really make that dramatic shift. So, I mean, there could be games where Leonard Fournette is stacking touches in the first half, but, uh, you know, he just kind of goes AWOL in the second half if the Jaguars aren't able to keep things, you know, in, in check. And, and people forget, like, as good as people think their defense is going to be this year, and I do as well, they were really good last year. They were third mm-hmm. in just pl- uh, yards per play allowed last year behind Denver and Arizona. So they were still really excellent last year, no matter how good you think they are. Uh, Bortles is is kind of interesting. I mean, like I said, he he's thrown 45 of 69 career touchdown passes in the second half of games. 29 of those have come in the fourth quarter. He's kind of like our garbage pail kid quarterback. Gets those fantasy points in those junk scripts. So if the Jaguars kind of can execute this to a degree – it hurts him because Bortles hasn't been a neutral script quarterback. He just hasn't, for fantasy that is, just hasn't been able to stack points. Uh, so if they're able to get this uh, going here, it, it really hampers, you know, kind of Bortles being able to turn himself into that low-end QB1 based on, you know, script and, you know, volume as opposed to hanging around like that just streaming, you know, QB 16 and below, you know, what we, we kind of expectations we have. But the, the good thing is is Bortles kind of runs a little bit. It kind of helps himself out. Yep. How about his receivers? Are you actively targeting Allen Robinson, Marquise Lee, Allen Hearns? Are you are you ending up with any of those guys in your leagues? Not really. I mean, like I said, this is it's tough because we don't know. It's hard to really forecast how good, how well they're going to be able to execute what they want to do. They've made it clear to us what they really want to do, but I mean, there's a gray area in projecting value for them because how many games do they actually win or how many games do they actually have second half leads in? Um, so, I mean, it's really hard to, to bite in on a guy like Allen Robinson when he's kind of just in between ADPs and where he was last year and where he was in 2015. 
So, I mean, I, I'd rather see him kind of have like more of a, a steady, you know, recoil towards that ADP. We could all buy in a, buy in it at first. You know, it's kind of like the Todd Gurley is in a similar situation here where everyone's just like, well, if we could tell ourselves the story of what happened that for that one stretch of time, but we won't let him fall all the way too far. So, I mean, that's kind of where I'm at, Val Robinson. He's someone always usually likes him a little more than me. Uh, he's a guy too, kind of is just, he's lived off of one set Pacific game script and, even last year he had that and it wasn't even great. Yeah, I mean, his catchable, yeah, and his catchable pass rate was a joke last year. I mean, it went all the way down to 57%. Uh, it was the sixth worst, worst rate of all receivers last year. Um, but it's, it's hard because he's still, I mean, he's still got Blake Bortles. So if we, if we're, if we're going to put a cap on his volume and say that he's still only going to get around, you know, say we want to bump that up to like 58 to 60% of catchable balls, but we want to reduce his targets to like the 125 range. That's still a very, that's still very problematic for a guy you've still got to take in the third round. And the other guys, I think just by default of what we talk about, if we're not going to take Robinson. We're not really interested in any of these other guys, the secondary options. I mean, Hearns was a guy that we knew was going to have regression, you know, coming off of the season he had all the Jaguars from last year. And then Lee was a guy that got the volume last year and 100 targets, but I mean, he still was 53rd in standard points per game, 49th in PPR points per game. I mean, it's hard to get really excited about any of those guys when we say that there's a possible volume cap. Yeah, and I mean, Hearns is one of those guys who kind of like what you were talking about earlier with Stills and Tyreek mm-hmm. Hill was a guy who you know is so dependent upon the big play that you, you know that that's not always going to continue. There will be some stretches where he puts it together and other times when it just doesn't happen. And I kind of wanted to follow up a little bit about that because we talk a lot about, you know, in fantasy analysis going after floor but also upside, trying to get a good mix of, you know, volatile and stable fantasy assets on your roster. What do you think is like, is there like a correct ratio to you there? Are you looking like for, you know, 60% of your guys are floor guys and 40% are, you know, the hammers that you drop uh, the big weeks on? Do you have any inkling there, like how, how to split that up and divide that up? Um, give the listeners any advice in that regard? Nothing with hardcore fact. I can say it just it usually goes by it, it dictates by where I'm building my team. So like uh, I can equate it to kind of like how you would build like your um, MFL 10 roster. Like there's a lot of strategy builds to build an MFL 10 roster, um, but they they just you let the front of your draft dictate that. So I'm gonna yep. let the front of my receiver draft also dictate how I balance out my wide receiver volatility or my um, you know balance floor guys. So if I get a guy like Mike Evans first because he falls in a spot where I'm comfortable taking him, it's I value on Mike Evans. He's a guy that has a lower floor than most, so I might be more inclined to take a higher tier wide receiver floor guy. I might pair him with a Golden Tate or a Jarvis Landry, uh, a Julian Edelman type, instead of waiting on uh, a lesser, you know, possession type guy. Um, whereas if I take one of these guys, you know, early on, like removing the top guys that kind of do it all, the Julio Joneses and stuff, um, say I maybe I get a guy like Jordy Nelson, who's more of a guy that's a touchdown scorer. Uh, but has a really high floor naturally himself, given the given the team he's on. Um, I may be more inclined to add another volatile player behind him uh, because it's going to give me an extra hammer, more ceilings. But I, my my alpha guy's got a better floor than a guy like a Mike Evans in that situation. So the front of those guys, um, the way I take, are going to dictate how I. I use the rest of my capital at those positions, you know, at the wide receiver position. You know, if you get a guy like Amari Cooper, you're not going to get Deshaun Jackson, you know, so and so on and so forth. Yeah, that's great stuff. And and you can do that across positions too. Like if you end up with more floor guys at other positions, you can afford to take more risks at wide receiver and so on and so forth. Um, One more kind of 
big picture question for you based upon uh, this first article. You drop a lot of large sample stats at the end of it, um, kind of about how teams call plays given specific game situations, you know, if they're winning or losing or tied, if it's the fourth quarter, um, et cetera. A lot of the data is intuitive. Um, for example, teams pass more when they're behind. We know that. And that effect is amplified the later the game gets. In the fourth quarter, if they're behind, they're going to pass even more. What isn't always intuitive is how to forecast that game flow before the game happens, right, given a matchup during the season. How can listeners learn to kind of better predict those game scripts? Yeah, it's very tricky if you're going to try to do that. I mean, the, the best way I try to do it, um, for, and I use it more for DFS purposes than just setting lineup purposes, is, you know, try to use those point spreads and, and then use those to come up with, like, multiple outcomes for your projections. You know, kind of like if a team was going to follow that spread to a T, if they're going to overcome that spread, or, you know, if it's going to jailbreak in the other direction. Because and we don't want guys uh, in junk game script. I know we talked about Blake Boyles being a guy that could overcome it for fantasy and kind of being elevated by it but for most players it's that's not the truth i know it's a it's a common misconception i've got a bunch of articles out there and a lot of other people do too i mean that, that garbage time really isn't something you want to really tether you know fantasy production to that you're chasing so i mean you can run those those projections there and try to find like a median for a floor and also use them to kind of like unearth, unearth some plays that like might not be found on the surface you know uh, but generally, spreads will tell you a lot, you know, especially in terms of like fantasy output. I mean, you want players that play with offensive leverage and are going to have it for as much large point of the, uh, portion of the game as possible. I mean, you look at just last year, I mean, just 18 of the 204 top 12 PPR backs were on teams that were getting six or more points in a given week. And just 27 of those 204 were guys getting more than five points. And, and for receivers, when you think of like a passing game, uh, it's where it would trend in the opposite direction. It's still just as true. I mean, just 17 of the 204 top 12 wide receivers last year in PPR leagues were on teams getting more than six points, and just 20 um, were were less than, which is less than the running backs, uh, were getting five or more points. And the quarterbacks the same, 22 or 204. I mean, spreads don't always always hit for in terms of betting the lines, but they do tell you a lot in terms of kind of what fantasy projections wise you can do. Yeah, what to expect given, you know, certain matchups. And it's one of those things where you can look at it from both sides, right, and say, okay, how is the other team's offense going to dictate what my guys do on offense and things like that. It's it's good stuff. Um, let's move on to another article you wrote. This is a more recent, your drives and scoring notebook that you mentioned earlier. And you talk about Eli Manning and how you expect him to bounce back a little bit this year. Uh, how much statistical recoil do you expect from him? Yeah, I think he's going to get back into, like, that QB, like, 11 to 15 range like that high-end qb2 um he'll sell some ups and downs because their schedule kind of has some clear some clear landmines on it but also some favorable spots too i mean you just look at the giants last year i mean this was their third year in that system it was the first year mcadoo was the coach and they had a phenomenal defense which makes it even more hard to swallow like when you think of how good the giants defense played like how much better their offense should have been because of how good their defense was um but eli basically i mean he just he just cratered his production cratered and it was all efficiency related because his volume stayed the exact same his attempts and completions per game stayed the exact same but his yardage fell by 20 yards his yards per attempt fell by a half yard his touchdown rate fell by 1.4 percent from the year prior um i think that when you look at the what he had to work with on offense, we know the offensive line isn't great, but that's not 
probably as, as big a deal as always because he's had a, a bad offensive lines before. But, I mean, look at the wide receiver position. Victor Cruz was 73rd. Sterling Shepard was 78th in yards per outrun. That was below a guy like Brandon Marshall who was stuck in an offensive quagmire and had a, a travesty of a season last year. They both were below him still. Will Ty was just 33rd of all tight ends. So we're going to get Marshall as a red zone per, um product uh Evan Ingram's going to be having an impact in the red zone we know rookie tight ends don't do much but he's going to be a glorified receiver Will Ty never was asked to block anyways so I mean he's going to go out there and just run routes um I think they definitely upgraded and given natural just recoil being in the same offense nothing's changing you know for the fourth year I think we're going to have some natural you know bounce back from Eli Manning uh to be like a QB2 yeah it's just a question of how much and and I, I'm with you but, he can't be as bad as he was last year but I do look at how he performed and, and the way his yards per attempt kind of dropped. And I worry that, you, you know, maybe that age cliff is here, that it, that it's, that it's coming for Eli. And I have him down in my rings because that I'm behind, you know, Prescott, Dalton, Bortles. Um, I might even yeah. rather draft Carson Palmer still, um, even though I have Eli ranked one spot ahead. Yeah. The, the thing for me is he's just a classic boom bust guy in the first place. Mm-hmm. Like he has big weeks and he has terrible weeks and, that's not the type of quarterback that I want. I, I like to embrace that position's inherent predictability to try and offset the unpredictability at the other positions on my lineup. And so a guy like Eli is really less appealing to me, and that's why I have him ranked so low. Over the past five years, he's only finished 57.5% of his weeks as a top 20 quarterback. And just for a little bit of context, most passers drafted between QB 11, and or I should, shouldn't say most, all passers drafted between QB 11 and QB 25 over the, that same period of five years, they went top 20 in approximately 65% of their games. So he's well below the average there. Um, and, and averages aren't everything. Don't get me wrong. It's just one of those indicators that Eli is not necessarily uh, a stable week to week starter. Um, he will give you those big weeks. And if you can identify those matchups, he's worth it. But I, yeah, I worry about him. Um, you, you talked about Brandon Marshall, how do you account for the addition of new weapons like Marshall, like Evan Ingram, for established players like Eli? Like you, We noted that his output last year was probably suppressed because his weapons were bad. The weapons are better, but how how do you quantify that in your projections and, and your rankings moving forward? Yeah, I kind of take like a top top down view approach of like a player's career and kind of like hone around their career mean, you know, your, your aim small, miss small mean. I don't, I'm not going to project anyone to like go outlandish uh, and go above like what they what they what we've seen them do so i mean marshall's a guy that if you look at his career like he's basically been a very similar receiver all his career except for last year you can say i mean he's 33 years old and this might be it the same thing as eli like maybe this is it like last year was us that was the warning sign um but that's also why his adp and is is where it is as well i mean you look and Marshall, you can almost tie all of his his decline, you know, back to just quarterback play. I mean, just fifty four and a half percent of his targets were catchable, ranked eighty seventh of eighty ninth wide receivers in the league last year. Uh, that's going to go up. I mean, he's he doesn't have to carry the offense now. Um, it's going to be Odell Beckham clearing out for him. Uh, so, I mean, he's a guy, I think it's going to be more of like a red zone splash play guy. Um, kind of have some low weeks still mixed in because Beckham's going to naturally. Turn those guys into low week guys. 
I mean, Beckham's going to have such hammer games sometimes where his other receivers just don't get off. That, that's the type of receiver Odell Beckham is. Um, but I mean, this is a pass first team. We, we can hone in on the mean there for projecting the, the Giants. We know that they ran the highest rate of pass plays with three wide receivers on the field. They haven't changed their offensive line much. They haven't changed their backfield personnel really hardly at all. We know they're going to throw a lot. Um, we know the weapons are better. So he just kind of focusing on those career means and, and try to work for like missing small on those guys. When we talk about Eli, like we said, we, none of us really laid out a plan to say, Hey, you need to go out and draft Eli Manning. Um, we more or less laid out the line, like he's going to be better than last year. And there's going to be a lot more opportunities to pick your spots than, than there was last year where he was just a complete floor play. Well, let's talk about another complete floor play, the San Francisco 49ers. Um, <laughs> They had Chip Kelly last year as their coach, so they led the league in drafts per game, 12.2. You note that in the article. That's almost sure to regress with him gone. Um, but their defense should still be pretty bad. How does that make you feel about Carlos Hyde this season? And where's the right place to target him in drafts if you're going to target him at all? Yeah, he's a guy that's been plummeting too, so it's getting a little more interesting of where you want to take him. Yeah, I'm getting more and more interested every day. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, he's a guy that this last, it feels like this last wave of uh, negativity has kind of pushed him down because really none of it, none of the coaching staff, all the word has been about guys that have been at doing the OTAs and doing stuff. Matt Breida, and like, of course Matt Breida looks good. He's a 190 pound running back. Of course that dude aesthetically looks awesome in practice and shorts. Like, but he, you know, he's still an undrafted agent. I mean, Joe Williams, obviously, you know, everyone's running with the Shanahan wanted him. Uh, to kind of be like a, a he, he is very Tevin Coleman-esque run, rushing style too as well. So I mean I can see where people like immediately draw those parallels. But like this isn't going to be an offense, so don't be thinking that it's going to be like a dual-headed thing where one guy's Devontae Freeman and one guy's Tevin Coleman. It ain't going to be that type of offense, you know, in terms of just overall output that you can divvy up and latch onto two guys. Um, but Hyatt is just one of these guys too that also has like these great underlying efficiency metrics and like yards after contact and missed tackles. But when it comes to the things that actually matter for fantasy, we haven't gotten it yet. I mean, he's had two years as a starter. Um, he's missed multiple games in, the, uh, in, in, in each of his first three NFL seasons. Um, even when he's on the field, like I said, his 20 games played the last two years, he's been a top 12 scorer just six times. He's been an RB 24 or lower in 11 of those 20 games. So, I mean, we just haven't got the results. The team's probably still going to be bad. Um, but I think that there's an opportunity to look at, like, the gap from, like, an Isaiah Crowell to Carlos Hyde as exploitable in leagues and as a gap from, like, Carlos Hyde to even Jordan Howard um, and where we can see, like, Jordan Howard kind of recoil to. Um, there's an exploitable gap, I think, between those types of players and Carlos Hyde. Yeah. Howard's a guy who I was all about there for a couple weeks, and then I kind of started thinking about it more and doing more drafts and, Thinking about that Bears team, and, and you're right, you compare the Bears to the 49ers, and what's that different? Not much. I mean, we just, we've just seen Jordan Howard have that one really huge right. season, which by now we should all know isn't the case. We've already talked about Mike Evans, uh, Allen Robinson, and you look at DeAndre Hopkins, and, and these types of players who have that one really good stretch or that one really good season, it's not always indicative of future results. So we have to be really careful about that stuff and, and pick our spots wisely. What about the receivers in San Francisco? Are you touching any of them besides Pierre Garcon? I mean, not not in redraft. I mean, in best ball, I've been dabbling on like Marcus Goodwin a little bit, just for the you know the the Taylor Gabriel esque role, just the splash plays. He's gonna have an opportunity. I mean, this is a guy that we've seen make splash plays. He basically catches just eighty yard touchdowns. He'll catch one pass a game, but eighty yard touchdown uh, kind of fits that mold of that guy that's filled that role for Kyle Shanahan as offense. And then plus, you have to think about like what happens if like Pierre Garcon misses any time. 
Like, so, I mean, I've been kind of just taking some shots on Curly to the same road, same road. Like if Garcon, I mean, Garcon is, you know, he's what, 32 now. Uh, if he misses this a stretch of games, I mean, you're basically looking at Curly being elevated into his role, you know, kind of from those intermediate targets, those short volume targets. But I mean, in redraft, you're not drafting any of those guys, but I mean, there's some best ball flyer-ish guys to tape, but, but nothing you're going to get maximum exposure to. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I'm not really excited about any of those other receivers. And even Garcon, I think a lot of people are, are really high on him based upon, you know, the fact that he is the only established guy in that offense and they should be throwing a lot. But I, I still worry about just guys on bad teams like that. They're, those aren't the types of players I like to target. I think Vance McDonald's a little interesting. I think he's worth some consideration as a late-round flyer if he survives roster cuts, but we don't know if that's going to happen yet. So um, we'll see. Uh, last team I want to touch on here, San Diego, the Chargers. Or not San Diego, Los Angeles, excuse me. That's the first time I screwed oh, yeah. it up on the podcast. God damn it. Um, <laughs> the Clippers, man. The Clippers. <laughs> so, this so, drives me nuts. Yeah, dude. The, the Chargers <laughs> had the second highest turnover percentage in the league, and you note that in the piece, on par with the Jets and the Bears, which is a little strange because you don't think of the Chargers being a, a bad offense in that way. So can we assume some regression towards fewer turnovers this season? Yeah, I mean, you look at, I think you look at the Chargers and Rivers, and when they've had Rivers there as their quarterback, they were at a 12.6 turnover rate with an average of 22 turnovers per year with him. Uh, last year, they're at 18.5% with 33 total turnovers. They were second, they had second most turnovers in the league. That kind of went into why they underachieved so much outside of injuries that we all know. Um, you know, turnovers will lose you a lot of games in the NFL. It's the quickest way. Uh, so that kind of went into them kind of like torpedoing. I, I am also in on the, the Chargers bandwagon that they are underrated that the Mike, Mike Clay's kind of been the, the forefront of this. You know, that he's like the Chargers yep. bandwagon here now. Um, but I will say that what it does make me a little nervous is like the Chargers schedule looks absolutely dreadful and I know that you know strength of schedule and everything like there's a limit to how much we can roll over but I mean you look at Phillip Rivers' schedule man that front half of the season it it's filled with defenses I think a lot of us no matter what you think rolls over and what doesn't like a lot of us would say like these are bad defenses to play for fantasy I mean he's been dreadful against the Chiefs uh the last three years he's got the Broncos twice in the front half of the season he plays the Giants on the road who absolutely destroyed quarterbacks last year he's got at New England he's got at Jacksonville all those are on the front half of the schedule like it's it's really treacherous. It's a it's really treacherous. It, it is bad, man. Um, and I know it gets better the second half of the year, but like if, if I'm going to invest into a quarterback, I know this is a two QB podcast, but if I'm going to wait on a quarterback and take a guy in the Phillip Rivers range, it's a guy I want to be interchangeable that I can, yeah. I want to use. I want to be able to use him. That's the whole point of waiting. I'm, I'm waiting for that production that everyone's paying for. I'm getting the same thing. So I want to be able to play him. And if I'm in a one QB league, I'm not going to roster multiple quarterbacks so he's probably a guy i'm not even going to draft because he starts at denver <laughs> yeah so i mean he's probably i'm probably going to leave him out there but i think that phil rivers is a guy that is going to find more waiver wires in one qb leagues uh that front half of the season than 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 he will be guys to hang on to and two qb leagues i think you're all right with him still as a qb too you can kind of grind it out on the qb floor where you're taking him at more often than not, you're inherently taking a guy above him. But I mean, if you're if you are waiting on him, you can take guys near him, like a Dalton or someone else, like guys you can play right away out of the box. Yeah, and I think in two QB leagues, you're actually presented with a different proposition. If you can, if you do see that schedule and come to the same conclusion, you can look at him and say, oh, well, he he's not a guy I want to draft. But you know, come week five, week six. It might be time to start firing away some Philip Rivers trade offers, especially if you can, 
set yourself up to cover for those last remaining, uh, you know, bad matchups with your other quarterbacks. If you can kind of get out in front of, you know, the schedule and, and afford to take, like, buy Rivers early, essentially, like, uh, by a week or two before the schedule starts to get good. And, and that's, that's a way you can leverage that schedule, you know, for your advantage in a two quarterback league. Yeah, absolutely, man. I mean, you, and you, and like, I, I'm someone like, I like to use the front of the schedule of the season to, you know, kind of make my quarterback guys that I draft, you know, and I'll, and then usually by then a guy like Blake Bortles, you know, reveals himself or like, you know, whoever the, the guy is that is going to be on waivers. Uh, last year was Marcus Mariota. Marcus Mariota mm-hmm. was on waivers. He was dreadful the first three weeks, was on waivers everywhere. Um, and then you kind of see things line up and you're able to scoop those guys up as they reveal themselves, but you can use the schedule, you know, to your advantage. I mean, a guy like Carson Palmer, it starts off fantastic. Uh, he's got a fantastic outlook. If you want to get in on a quarterback that just kind of like hedge your Philip Rivers bet, you know, you can play Carson Palmer that front half of the year and kind of mix them up, you know, and, and use and use that to your advantage. No one's drafting Carson Palmer either, but I mean, I'll take him to start the year. Yeah, and that's another way to do the late round QB strategy is to grab multiple guys and just filter them in and out uh, for for two quarterback formats. Um, yeah. It, Sometimes that, that whole trading idea can turn south on you. I, I remember last year I traded for Winston thinking, oh, yeah, look at those tasty playoff matchups games. against the Saints. And good God, <laughs> that couldn't have gone any worse. Yeah, I don't know what it is with Winston, man. Like, every QB destroys the Saints except for him. Like, he just has, like, for two years running now, he's been the dude that's been, like, the the fantasy kryptonite against the Saints. Like, he just he just tanks for you. Man, and if he doesn't do it this year with everybody they've added, like, good luck. <laughs> yeah. Good luck apologizing to your fantasy owners at that point. He'll, he'll be dead to some people after that. Um, that does it for anything uh, else I wanted to get to on that article. I have one listener question here, and it's kind of a big one, so we don't have to go too long on it, but it, it probably – requires a pretty detailed response. And this is something uh, from a guy named Christopher Richmond. Uh, he asks, can you discuss strategies about trading draft picks in keepers slash dynasty leagues? So pretty nebulous topic. Um, I'll kick off with my answer a little bit here first. I, I think that discussion of trading picks is difficult just because the situations are so context dependent, right? Uh, we can give a solid answer if you tell us, you know, here's the players I'm interested in trading for and, you know, here's what my roster looks like and here are the scoring rules. But it's hard to make really broad generalizations about the value of picks. I think it's important to figure out what types of players you can expect to find at certain picks in the draft. And that means you have to study ADP. You have to predict, you have to try to predict other teams' keepers or, or dynasty selections, right? And if you can do those things, you can start to forecast what a pick is worth based upon the players you might be able to select in those exact spots. In terms of how to approach keepers in general, I, I kind of lean on two principles. The, the first, and this is my like above all rule, I, I want stud players. I want high end producers, even if the cost isn't necessarily a screaming value. And the reason for that is because turnover is so quick in football. Guys come in and out of the league so fast. You know, injuries can end a guy a guy's career in no time. And so I, I really want to make sure that I'm starting week one with the best players possible for the most part. And, you know, failing that, failing number one, having stud players, I do want the best possible values after that. And I think that for that, you have to have a positional hierarchy in mind. That's important. I think running backs and wide receivers generally have the most value. So you want to use most of your keeper spots on those positions. Uh, QB is more valuable at, as a keeper than tight end, I think, especially in Superflex, obviously, but also just because QBs are more predictable. We've talked about that a lot already. They have a longer fantasy-relevant career. Uh, they don't rely directly on another position for value. You know, tight ends have to catch passes from the quarterbacks. Um, tight end usage tends to vary week to week. 
game plan to game plan. They're at more risk of injury from the QBs. So they rely on QBs and scheme to get them the ball sometimes. So w- with all that said, I-, I think you have to kind of keep that number one mantra in mind, though. It's it, You want the best players you can possibly keep. Try to keep studs. Uh, if you think that a quarterback is more valuable than a tight end at a base level, that doesn't necessarily mean you should keep a middling quarterback like Andy Dalton or Carson Palmer over a high-end tight end like, I don't know, Jordan Reed or Tyler Eifert or something like that. Um, anyway, I've kind of ranted a, a little while here, Rich. Do you have any any thoughts on you know the value of keeper picks, dynasty picks, how to trade them, things like that? No, you touched on it pretty well. I mean, I'm someone that doesn't really value dynasty, you know, future draft picks a whole lot. I kind of use those to my advantage to get production that is actually tangible. Um, and you know, kind of moved, I moved a lot of picks in drafts. I'm not someone that really waits on what's promised tomorrow. I kind of care about what has already occurred and paying for production that I can touch and taste, you know, already. So, I mean, I'm, I'm generally not that guy. I don't, uh, have I generally don't have a lot of high draft picks either, you know, not to be the fantasy douche, but uh, <laughs> uh, I generally don't have a lot of high draft picks to trade either. Um, but yeah, I mean, you touched on it really well. I mean, just laying out how you would, it, it's, it is very, you know, context sensitive to what is valuable. Cause especially when you're getting into the dynasty format where everyone's just taking on a different track you know, of, of team building, you know, it's very, the minutia of what goes into is this value for one. It's very hard to put trades in vacuums in dynasty leagues in general, even when they're players that already have established production, let alone these picks that haven't occurred yet. And that are going to shift value throughout the course of the, the draft process. You know, the thing about like this year, like the, what the, how, how just like the one Oh four through like, the 104 to like 106 changed and as value shifted. Uh, whereas the last year, the 106 was a high commodity pick coming into, you know, drafts. Um, and, 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 you know, it ended up turning out not to be like a really valuable pick this year in terms of what you were able to trade it for. So the market's always constantly moving and it means more different teams and then team builds moving in different directions. So, I mean, it's tough, but I mean, I, I'm generally, like I said, my rule is, is give me production that, that I can taste, you know, touch and smell. So, uh, I'll take those guys over the what's promised tomorrow. That's good. Well, hey, man, that's all I've got to, to bug you about on this episode. I really want to thank you for coming on. Is there anything else you want to get off your chest before we sign off here? No, like I said, I mean, the Roto World Draft Guide is going to go uh, on sale, you know, uh, starting tomorrow, 7-11. Um, if, if anyone wants to get on that, I did projections, tiers. I did AFC wide receiver profiles. Uh, we did staff rankings. There's a whole bunch of stuff there. I would recommend getting the online version because that gets updated. I mean, who, who's carrying magazines around anymore? You know, we're stuff that we printed before even training camp started is you're stuck with that information. But if you get the online version, uh, projections, rankings, all that stuff gets updated throughout the whole entire summer, all the way up into week one. So, I mean, if you want to grab that, it's only 20 bucks. You know, I mean, there's, there's a lot worse things out there to spend 20 bucks on. Yep, and on that note, uh, you had a small part in the 2QBs.com draft guide, which is coming out soon as well. We don't have an official date yet. We're trying to get it out, hopefully by the end of this week or early next week, and that has a lot of the same stuff, rankings, projections, uh, a, a lot of great articles, a mock draft that you were a part of. Um, and I, one, we appreciate you, you pitching in there that your, your help was very much appreciated, Rich. And, and, you know, people definitely want to hear from you. They want to hear from a lot of these great minds that we got uh, on the draft guide. And so keep your eyes peeled for that. If you are interested in, you know, maybe pre-ordering that listeners, uh, you can do that. Just give us an email, uh, two QBs at gmail.com. That's T W O Q B S. Um, you can also hit us up on Twitter if you have any questions about it at two QBs. And you should definitely be following Rich, uh, at Lord Reeves. 
If you wouldn't mind, rate and review the podcast, all that good stuff. This is that general spiel we go into at the end of every podcast, no matter which podcast it is. Right, Rich? Yep, absolutely. Yeah, man. Well, hey, thanks again for your time. I, it's, it's awesome of you to come on, and, and I can't wait to share this with everybody out there. Um, and, and I'm getting pumped for the Scott Fishball. I think I'm on the clock right now. My phone buzzed while I was wrapping up here. So I got to go right make up. a pick, probably another running back. We'll see. Um, until next time, <laughs> listeners, uh, thanks for joining us. Adios. Adios.